Welcome to the Brad Worthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Brad Worthy Culture. Today, we get a chance to chat with Brandon Wood at Maestro Health. Brandon is the COO, the Chief Operating Officer of Maestro Health. With over 20 years of experience in the benefit space, Brandon joined Maestro to deliver a world-class experience through their self-funded solution. I want to touch on self-funded and what that means here in just a second. Brandon's been in and around the employee benefit world for a long time. Before Maestro, Brandon has been a leader at ADP, WageWorks, and PayFlex, amongst others. In other words, we're all going to learn a lot today. Uh, So, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Jordan. Appreciate you having me. Hope you didn't oversell me. (laughs) We'll find out. No, I'm kidding. No pressure at all. Um, Everybody's got a bio and, you know, they're all pretty grandiose. But but, but I found folks uh, have a lot to teach or maybe I just have a lot to learn. But Brandon, I want to obviously get into Maestro and your culture. But before that, I want to tap into your knowledge and experience in the benefits world, specifically for the 99.9% of us that don't fully understand, what are self-funded benefits? And maybe describe the size of company or the type of company that should consider self-funded solutions. Yeah, at the most simple terms, you just follow the the terms themselves, self-funded. So it's where employers essentially share the lion's share of the healthcare costs on behalf of the company. Most often, employees bear some share of that too. And then there's for big, huge claims that might happen, there's a little bit of protection called stop loss that provides sort of a wrapper around the whole thing so that it's not such a giant leap of faith for employers. And the, the converse to that is what's called fully insured, which essentially pulls a bunch of people, ties them to a premium, and you know, essentially the health insurance company pays the claims. I think one important note, and I don't think this overcomplicates things, there's only a couple of people who pay for healthcare in this country. That's the citizens and that's employers. So citizens by way of contributions through their health plan or through their taxes, uh, in the case of Medicare, Medicaid, in this case, self-insured really means that the employer is providing funding for the health plan itself with a little bit of protection uh, in the form of stop loss. Gotcha. So it's uh, the approach is, do we want to kind of provide this ourselves with some catastrophic help backing us up if there's a really big loss versus we're going to put the brunt of that liability on the insurance company as a result of these probably much higher premiums that we're paying. That's yeah. that's right. And I think in terms, yes, the company size is typically we don't see anything below 50 okay. employees. There are some exceptions to that not worth getting into and all the way up to you know hundreds of thousands of employees. Mm-hmm. There's really no cap at the top end. You know, in general, the benefits to the employer are more flexibility, you know, more control over how costs are handled, mm-hmm. the ability to customize some things specific to their populations. So generally speaking, self-funded offers those benefits to the employer. And then there's also the notion of a large health plan carrier who provides self-funded insurance versus an independent, you know, sort of TPA. Right. And the big difference there is really flexibility. Yeah. Again, the ability to customize and offer specific 
point solutions that might be geared at a specific population in order to control costs and, and ideally both to do that and to improve the health of the employees. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love the customization aspect. If you know your people well and you understand that your population has a specific challenge because of who they are or because of the area they live in or because of they have a lot of children or no children at all or whatever the case may be, it's that sounds useful to be able to customize and really think specifically about your own people. And that's something we talk about a lot on the podcast, not so much around you know health benefits, but just customization and personalization and just knowing your knowing your employees and trying to do all you can to to give them the most specific benefits and the most specific value that you possibly can based on who they are. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's really neat. I like that. I think for most of us, the health insurance world is like, it's like in, in a different language, you know, but I appreciate you breaking it down a little bit and kind of bringing us into your world. I'm curious how, if at all, things are changing in the health benefit space as a result of the last 14 months in, in the US, but obviously around the world. But I, I know specifically, you know, you're going to have a lot of data and insights around what's going on here. I'd venture to guess at least mental health is is changing, but talk about that, if you will, and then anything else that you see from a trend standpoint that's really changing your business, your industry. You know, let's start with, I think, what we're seeing is the most significant impact, and you brought it up, which is mental health. Yeah, It's talked about quite frequently, but data is starting to emerge, right? So we're able to start looking at what ha- what's happened over the last 14 months and then compare it to the previous period. And certainly a lot of it's due to COVID and sheltering place. Certainly a lot of it has to do with some of the incredibly troubling events leading up to and just just behind the election and so forth. And so I think it all has sort of a compounding effect. And just to give you a couple of quick data points, you know, some of our plans are seeing orders of magnitude growth in terms of expense related to treatment for depression. Uh, substance abuse. And these can be high costs for a self-insured employer. I'll try not to introduce too many nuanced concepts, but in the in the health insurance world, you tend to be accessing a discount network when you go and seek services. Right. Um, so we've all seen the little logos on our medical ID cards, and, and those allow you to access discounts at networks. Well, a lot of these behavioral health issues, whether it's substance abuse or severe depression, people end up in facilities, you know, inpatient stays, and those facilities tend to be out of network for a lot of health plans, which creates additional expense. So something we're watching very carefully, yeah, that would be the most significant. Certainly, we're seeing claims for infectious diseases rise (laughs) with COVID infections. I think the lion's share of our customers are weathering well. You know, I've had had customers in the hospitality space that, you know, have taken a bit of a hit. But what we're trying to do is get people focused around where their highest area of exposure is in terms of cost and just overall employee health and well-being, staying clear of COVID infection and helping to, to give people the, the treatment and help they need if they're struggling is at the top of the list for sure. Do you think that moving forward, and I don't expect you to conjecture on the state of the world here, but you know with COVID hopefully sort of coming to an end, you know, having that that immunity that we're building together is the perception that this issue with, hey, 
you know, a lot of these mental health facilities, they're not, they're not in the network. Should they be in the network? Do we need to rearrange things? And, and you guys are not an insurer, obviously, but is that conversation on the table around how to handle this moving forward? Or is it more of a, hey, this is an isolated event. Let's not shake up our whole industry over it. So I, I don't think it's an isolated event. I think among other things, it, you know, is allowing what used to be a pretty vicious stigma Mm-hmm. to be normalized a little bit, you know, which I think is, is good for mankind as a whole. Right. What we're seeing is the opportunity, all the networks have this, but independent TPAs tend to be a little bit more flexible and a little bit more pointed in what direction they go. But there's a growing trend of direct contracting in our space where we're identifying treatment options and facilities that are of high value, low cost, and mm-hmm. we're doing direct contracts on behalf of the employer. It says, you know, okay. it, it's providing them a safe harbor, uh, essentially, to send these folks to at a reasonable cost with the general high expectation of a quality outcome. Mm. You know, you've seen the emergence of telehealth. I think that's been incredibly invaluable over the last 14 months. You know, we have partnerships with telehealth providers that also provide behavioral health services and counseling. Okay. You know, and that means you know, part of this is early intervention. And I think that's all of our responsibility as people who run businesses there's very stringent privacy laws that relates to mental health, but you know, to be quite frank, managers are going to have to get good at identifying people who may be struggling underneath right? and you know, not be too frightened to at least have the conversation. Are you doing okay? Yeah. The big thing in the HR world, literally every single interview I have, I'll ask a question about how are your people doing, you know, and how do you know how they're doing and so forth? And the answer almost all the time is surveys. Right. And surveys are wonderful and you learn a lot and it's great. But but what you're talking about is real data that's coming from real claims and people seeing real doctors. And so not everybody's going to come out and say, I'm struggling with mental health. I, I feel like I'm about to burn out. I mean, there's a there's a risk or at least a perceived risk to that employee to speak up and to say that. Am I going to be judged for this? Am I going to keep my job? Am I not going to get that promotion if I you know what I mean? So it, it's interesting to see the difference between that survey data and this hard data, if, if you will. And you mentioned degrees of magnitude. I, I'd wonder if you could maybe expand on that a little bit, like if you haven't obviously depersonalized, but, but any example that you might have around sort of this epidemic of, of mental health over the last year? Sure. It's quarterly business review season for us. So we go okay. to our, especially our largest clients and we review the previous quarter and look at claim costs and so on. And we, re- we review them over a prior period. It's right. So this is generally the trend, but this is one specific instance where last year, same quarter, same period, January through March, depression ranked 100 and change, maybe 110 or so, but knowing the exact number in terms of their overall expense driver for the plan. This quarter, it ranked in the top 10. So you're talking about roughly a thousand percent increase. Wow. Now, this employer could have had two people in inpatient treatment over the same period last year, and now they've got dozens, right? So that's that's the degree of magnitude we're looking mm. at here. Nearly every employer's data that I've seen had depression rise from in the 80s to 100s range, all the way up to the top 25. Same goes for substance abuse. Mm. Substance abuse has been growing 
as a result of opioids for a while. But, you know, I think alcohol abuse in particular mm. during the, the quarantine is, is probably the most significant one. Yeah, understandable. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. And, you know, it's, you wonder too, like, how much of that is new cases of those things going on, especially in the mental health, like the depression, anxiety, and how much of that is maybe a good thing in that the stigma is dropping and, and people are more willing to seek that help and get that treatment, right? And it's really hard to answer which one it is and what the combination of those things are, but it's, but it's super interesting data to hear about. Is there anything else just in the, the benefit space in general trends? I mean, one thing that I thought of just before our call is I'm curious about the, all the gig workers and this whole idea of, hey, I'm working at home now. I'm not necessarily going into an office people can lend an hour or two of their time every day, whether it's driving an Uber or shopping for Instacart or, or whatever the case may be. How does this whole future of gig work and benefits, like where do you think we're headed? Because obviously it's a lot of pressure, at least out in California on this topic right now. I think it's an opportunity for, for insurance companies to innovate, right? So mm. we happen to be owned by a, a global powerhouse a hundred billion euro plus company in AXA that's based in Paris, France. Mm. They insure all sorts of things. If you look at what they're doing globally in particular for companies like Uber to offer protection, both for the property itself, but also right. on the health side. Now those are different uh, healthcare economies, right? So right. a lot of it's government funded, but that provides the bare minimum, right? And you know these types of services kind of wrap things around that. So if you have people, for example, who may be accessing health plans that provide just minimum essential coverage, these gig workers, you know, maybe they're young and healthy, and so they're just right. taking the the cheapest plan off the exchange sure. type of thing. You know, I think there's an opportunity for insurance companies to step in. I'm not seeing a ton of it yet. Mm. But you're starting to see the conversations happening about how to how to cover these workers, because a lot of the way the health plans are underwritten today are based on you knowing the population, you knowing right. what the coverage period is, yeah. and you're generally following annual rotations where people are bouncing in and out of different things. Right. Uh, so I, you know, there's not a ton out there, frankly, in the U.S. Yeah. Right. But I think it's an opportunity for for insurance companies to innovate, for sure. Yeah. And I think you'll see as competition continues to get more fierce between these players, whether you're talking about Grubhub or Drizzly or whatever, right? They're, they're competing for the, the time yeah. for these workers. And so they're going to have to innovate as well and create some individual product that makes sense for these folks. Hmm. Really interesting. Well, let's get into your own company, get into Maestro Health and your culture. I mean, you're the COO, obviously you're in the room, probably leading discussions often around people's strategy and the direction you're headed in. And let's just take the last 14 months again. What has caring for your people look like through global pandemic, social unrest, a spike of mental health struggles and burnout or, or the fear of burnout? What, what's that look like for you? So we've tried to do as much as we could to keep our finger on the pulse of what was going on with the staff, right? So we've done pulse surveys that obviously is, is valuable. Our CEO, my boss, he's a, he sets up coffee chats 
all across the company, doesn't matter who you are. And so he's checking in with people individually. You know, we've sort of amped up attention on one-on-one conversations, making sure that our leaders are touching each of our staff as often as we possibly can. We've implemented a number of measures to try and help. We've added a couple of additional holidays, dubbed MH holidays or or mental health holidays, and told managers to focus on allowing their employees to truly unplug, recognizing that you have this dynamic where a lot of people during the pandemic are sort of jumping in and and immersing themselves in work, and they're not not escaping. They used to go into and out of the office. Now they're like people like me who work from home and and traveled around a lot, and they kind of get how that people aren't used to that and balancing all that out. And so we're trying right. to, to stay ahead of that, you know, from a mental health and well-being perspective, you know, we purchased annual subscriptions, to the Calm app for everybody and encourage them to use it. We've been tracking that utilization, at least in terms of those taking advantage of the subscription, you know, and the surveys are telling us what, what most other surveys for, for, for companies with recently good cultures, you know, people are engaged. I think we're pushing mid seventies percent, yeah. which is, which is, a very good score and certainly high relative to both our peer group and the, the AXA universe we're part of. Right. The issue is what lies underneath and we're trying to stay out of that as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. What, what are the surveys telling you? Any particular struggles around not only mental health, but just how parents are navigating this time or, or just the loneliness if, if people live alone potentially? Yeah. So even though we're technically mandated to work from home, we have essential personnel that need to be in the office. And we've also allowed it to be manager's discretion. Okay. You know, if they're aware of an individual that is not in an environment where they can thrive and do a good job, do good work every day, we've made some exceptions. Now, they have to take their temperature when they're walking in the door. They have to sign an attestation. They have to wear a mask, but they at least have a place to go or Right. where they feel like they can do good work and it's not sitting outside of a Starbucks somewhere and, and hoping a horn doesn't honk while you're on a conference call type of thing. Yeah. And I think that's that's certainly been been helpful. But, you know, the situation still exists and it's going to transfer to what does returning to work look like now? So that's our next step is mapping that out. And, you know, we'll, so we'll survey again and see how people are feeling about it. I suspect, again, I'm, I'm speculating here, that a subset of people have kind of gotten used to this routine. Maybe they have a tween at home and, right. you know, we're, we're dealing with potential daycare expenses and issues before, and now they can kind of keep an eye on things and continue to, to perform well at work. Right. I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic that people kind of are used to have the routine of dropping off and picking up at the daycare. And they've kind of, uh, so I think there's people just dying to get back to the office. Yeah. Can't wait. I think you'll have people in between. It's almost like everything else. You're going to have every angle and you got to have it covered. Right. And you're not going to be able to push people back into the office, at least not in the near term. Right. I think you're putting your, yourself at risk for some attrition if you start pushing people through the door again. You know, that's that's kind of next steps for us. We're hoping to be back by September or in September, near full speed, partial, full, called the middle of July. Okay. Yeah, great. I mean, I, you know, it kind of goes back to that same theme we, we touched on of customization and personalization. And like, we're just going there in another area of life and of work of just where do you want to work and what fits your, your schedule, your family, the dynamics of your life. And I think you're right. It, you kind of got to be ready for whatever people need. And, and really the, the social contract is like, 
if you're doing a great job, what can I really say about where you work and even when you work, you know, necessarily. So yeah, yeah it's probably wise to, to be open-handed with that. I, I would, my opinion at least. So that's great. And, you know, I, I'm definitely in the camp of like, can't wait to get back to the office personally, you know, just those in between moments, those water cooler conversations that just, you know, when you go from one agended meeting to the next agended meeting, it's like, when do you say, hey, how's your family doing? Or did you see the ball game? Or like, there's none of that, right? And so that, that's been interesting. I'm curious on that topic, kind of culturally connecting, helping your people connect to each other over these last, because I'm sure there's friendships and, and just, you know, relationships that people want to maintain and, and grow any ideas that came out of COVID around virtually connecting folks? Yeah. So we have a sort of a, we call it the maestro management group, but it's a tier of managers, highly influential, high performers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we've uh, set forth on a couple of projects across over into culture over the pandemic. You know, maestro had a, a set of values, a list that was like 20 long, which was, which was really great because it covered yeah. just the spectrum. Sure. But it also got diluted. Certain right. ones got diluted, you know, the ones that we embraced. And so you know, that's one thing that got a group together that wouldn't, air, wouldn't ordinarily talk um, and help, mm. help each other get to know each other and kind of really wrestle through and drill down to, you know, what are our four or five most powerful elements we want to focus on moving forward as a company from a values perspective? So I think people got engaged in that project. It was a lot of fun. The, the attendees were diverse. You know, we've uh, tried to hold town halls pretty frequently. They're extremely transparent. There's wide open Q&A. And, you know, it's hard to do when you're a company of a certain size to, you know, in the surveys, our employees are telling us they love the communication. It's kind of silly. One of the things that our employees appreciate is we do this thing. It's called Good News Friday. And it started because I had a boss about 10 years ago taught me this lesson that you never drop off bad news on a Friday. <laughs> He happened to be a sailor and he would, he would bounce midday Friday and head to a sailboat, clear out his inbox right? and then, you know, hang out on the water all weekend and yeah. something had come up and I, I had to tell him and I called him and, you know, he was like, what, you know, you never drop this stuff on me on a Friday. And so <laughs> at, his at, at that company, I started, I'm like, you know what? Great idea because nobody likes to roll into the weekend carrying a bunch of baggage from the week. You know, they want to feel like, you know, the company's accomplished something right. and that they're moving forward and then they can, you know, kind of check out and go off to the weekend. So employees appreciate those. We usually call out kudos. Maybe we'll tease out a story from one of our case managers who's helped somebody navigate a cancer treatment, focus on progress on a key project type of thing. And we yeah. started to sprinkle out, you know, and allow others to kind of be contributors to this. Let's not call it a newsletter, but we'll have like the HR corner one week and they'll put the po recent postings for jobs. The employees love it and they gobble that stuff up. And you know, I think that helps elevate the mood heading to the weekend and, and all that. So there's, it's, you know, it's not going to be one thing. There's no magic. It's no right. one size fits all. There's no, there's no magic uh, element to this. It's, it's going right. to be a thousand little things just like everything else. Yeah, well, I, I agree. There, there's no one thing, but I'm sure, especially in light of being separated and not being able to, you know, see people in person or see any of the leadership and so forth, that transparency 
I bet is just music to their ears going into the weekend because you know how it is when you you're not around people and you start to have doubts and you wonder if you can trust them or if they see you or appreciate what you're doing and you know what I mean it, it, things can get that way when there's no you know you get to get oh this is a human being they of course they I care they care we're good right and so to have that level of transparency I'm sure is just wonderful they could like ah okay I'm I'm read into what's happening and I'm, I'm involved. And I also thought when you were sharing about just getting the managers and the leadership together to talk through values, seems like it would have been a great year to do that because I think for a lot of us personally, we're sort of assessing our own values in life, right? We, we slowed down. We don't have as many distractions and as many events we're going to. The kids aren't doing, you know, as much gymnastics or music lessons or whatever it is, right? And there's been time both to both to struggle, but also to reflect, you know? And so just, just from a human standpoint, I think it makes a whole lot of sense that you guys got together and reflected on your company at a time where you're probably a bit more introspective than you would be anyway, right? Yeah. I, culture is something you have to continually work at. You know, it's when you're starting from one or two employees, it's easy to have just the best culture on earth, uh, right? You don't have legacy clients, legacy employees, or (laughs) a cranky embedded customer base to to worry (laughs) about. Maestro is a culmination of of three different companies Mm -hmm. that were all, all acquired at different times. And, you know, if you don't kind of get around the table and kind of share those ideas and those thoughts, you end up with some sort of canned culture. And it's um right. And it took us it took us a couple of years. Majority of our staff felt that our most significant contribution was that we were passionate stewards of our clients' checkbooks. Huh. You know, at, and and that was at our core, like the thing we were best at. Yeah. And we had a what we're best at story a mile long. And then, you know, so over time, we just trimmed it back. We're like, okay, okay, keep talking. It's like, it's two things. Drive better health outcomes and drive savings. That's it. Right. And, what, and mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the, maybe maybe it's one of your podcasts where someone's referring back to Simon Sinek and the, the, the why. And you're like, yeah. you know, once you find that, that's like the fertile soil, you know? Yeah. And then the business just flourishes. But it, it, until you get there where everybody's sort of flying in formation and it's a constant tweaking process and a listening process and so forth. Yeah. So It's so interesting with, with values and mission. And, and I've realized this in my own career that to some extent you can be prescriptive, right? Where you go, this is who we're going to be, right? And this is what we're going to be about. But over the course of time, it gets more descriptive where you actually realize who you are to the world and internally and the role that you play in the marketplace and so forth. And you, you discover a bit about what your values are based on who you've hired and what they value and, and sort of the culture that has formed that is not something you can control, you know, that you can't just steer everything so perfectly in the direction you thought you wanted to go in. And so it's interesting to hear you describe 
listening to folks talk about who they believe that your company already is. And then you're just kind of taking notes like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. That makes sense. You know, and, and that that refined all the more that that's a really neat concept and probably an encouragement for both really young companies to realize that the things that you're writing down now and the things that you're painting up on the wall of your startup office or whatever it is, they're wonderful and they're well-intentioned and they're probably true, but it's not going to be exactly those same words three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. And that's okay to discover, you know? Yeah. And as as a founder, you have to be self-aware, right? That maybe the, the precise words weren't all magic on day one. Um, but I think right. that's part of the fun of the process and no easier to get folks to, you know, embrace the culture by being primary contributors to the development of it. So, right. And it's very difficult for large organizations, monsters to pivot and make those adjustments. They do it. Right. And I think you pointed this out, you know, it's, it's absolutely hundred percent. Okay. To be aspirational. People are absolutely okay with that. Over time, you need to translate that into actual outcomes or people continue to see it as a pipe dream. So, yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's part of why that Friday celebrating what have we done this week and, and, and the counting the wins. And that's important too, right? Because it's tangible. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, we do have this pie in the sky aspiration, but like we are making progress, you know, and, and look at us go, right? And celebrating one another. I think that's so important. So as you went through this process, and and I'm going to pigeonhole us into this topic for a minute because this is what fascinates me, so I apologize. But as you go through this process and you identify and simplify, which I love, those values and describing who you are, I'd love for you to share, and it doesn't have to be complete, but just like one or two aspects culturally, like mission-wise, I totally get it, right? Like it's about savings and better health outcomes. But from a cultural standpoint, what did you, if anything, realize or discover about yourselves in terms of just shared values or, or kind of a common, common, a way that makes you a particularly unique company based on just how you work and how you treat each other? Is there anything like that? Yeah. So as I said before, we're coming together of, of three businesses and sort of a parent, right? Yeah, And, you know, I think one of the things, and the the self-funded business was built on what was a decades-old family business, and they they focused on just being a self-funded insurance TPA, and one of the unique attributes is is that they own their own clinical staff. And so I might go down my own rabbit hole here, but this is back to that that checkbook statement. The company has always been focused on trying to squeeze out costs and, and, and drive outcomes. I think that what became sort of, and as we're starting to see really demonstrate the results or produce some outcomes for us, is that rally cry around those two things. And the focus, I'm going to put my operator's hat on for a minute, around aligning our KPIs, how we measure our business to those same things and where we're showing progress year over year. So I'll, I'll give you an example we have a clinical discipline called utilization review, okay? So that's where a nurse, clinician will look at a particular procedure, make sure that it's medically necessary, make sure that it's appropriate for the type of condition an individual has, and if it doesn't look right, may escalate it for a second opinion. 
Mm. Right. And so to the extent that we're able to steer that person away from unnecessary care or to more effective treatment that may be lower cost, but produce a better outcome, uh, that produces savings. So year over year, our utilization review area, and this is sort of after we transformed our focus, our mission is to drive better outcomes and drive savings. We've doubled our savings for utilization review for our clients year over year. So we deployed, again, back to that same focus, right? So once we were there, we knew how to align KPIs, we knew what we were going to measure, and then start to report on it. So we deployed a program that's meant to address people with polychronic conditions. These are people who have multiple chronic conditions that tend to be in the emergency room an awful lot. They tend to be on a lot of high-cost medications, some of which taking they adhere to, some of which they don't. So we deployed a program that just focused. I mean, these are the top 10% of utilizers and put a nurse coach with them and reached out to them, did a what we call a super visit, you know, learned all there is to know, the socioeconomic components, you know, what was driving their decision making, right. and worked with each of these patients to move them through the care continuum. Hmm. And so there we measure what's called patient activation. How yeah. engaged are they in their ongoing care? Um, so we've seen in just that population, it's a few hundred people, okay? It's, it's the top 10%, right, for this nice. particular set of clients. We've generated $200,000 in savings to date, and the program's just getting up and running. So once you get all of these things in a row, the magic starts to happen, and you start to differentiate yourself because you can not only talk the talk, yeah, you can show the customer and the prospective customer that you can walk that talk totally. and that drives growth and growth makes everybody happy. It's really interesting. And I honestly, I didn't even think I knew that that existed, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> what I'd be curious about as an employer is how do we make sure that those visits and that involvement from that nurse or that professional, that sort of guiding someone through their care, how, how do you guys go about making sure that feels like an advocate for that patient or that employee, as opposed to like an insurance adjuster that's showing up to sort of like limit, you know, claims so, and not to compare it to something so extreme. Yeah. You, yeah. You hey, hey, we've come from the government and we're here to help. Everybody. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, these folks train in behavioral interview techniques and, you know, it's not easy. You know, it it doesn't always happen on the first touch point. The immediate guard is, wait a minute, you're calling me from an insurance company because that's most consumers' perception of us is because we're the logo on that card. We're the insurance company. We're the insurance company, right. They don't realize in that conversation that we're stewards of the company's checkbook and we're trying to help them and their company perform their best. Right. And it, it often requires a few conversations, a couple of reach outs. But the folks that are really struggling, the folks that want to do well for themselves, they just don't know how or can't keep themselves organized. Right. That's where we can step in and make a meaningful impact. So mm. of the people we contact, Jordan, maybe 50 to 60% we engage. Okay. But that's significant. A lot of people have canned disease management programs where they hit people with three messages, they move on. Right. This particular program not only engages with the member, you know, the, right. the patient, but it also is a connection point to the primary care physician. So okay. they're starting to share data and information so that the patient's not having to talk to two people about two different things. 
And that yeah. is our, our nurse coaches engage, they're plugging in with the primary care doc saying, hey, listen, we, we talked to the patient on X date, you know, they weren't taking this particular medication on the schedule, we've encouraged them to do so, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Because that's the, among the, the dying marks in this country is, is you know, the reliance on primary care. You're one family doc who knows all there is to know about you and your family and, right. and, and all that. Now you've got your teledoc, you've got your primary care physician you've had since you were 12, and nobody's talking to each other. No, I love it. No one's losing if you're driving better health outcomes and saving money at the same time. So that's, that's already a great thing. But if you, from an employee experience standpoint, if you can stack on top of that, I get to feel like I have an advocate. I get to feel like I have almost a concierge, so to speak, to like coordinate these people and get them talking or at least share information or help me share the right information. That's actually a really, a really great experience as an employee. If that's done well, that makes me feel like, man, my company has, I don't know what the heck you know, Maestro is because I don't know the difference between an insurance company and a broker or whatever. I don't care. I just know as an employee, I'm being taken care of in a particular way that I'm not accustomed to and I like it. It's interesting. It's maybe not the first reason why you would add a program like that, right? It is to give that sense to the employee. But, but I think that's a great side effect. Again, if it's done well, that I just feel taken care of, uh, yeah, which is pretty yeah, neat. You know, and the NPS scores for that program are off the charts in terms of health insurance. I think our NPS is 78 last survey round. Yeah, wow. And, you know, these are people who, you know, were struggling to get rides to go to their appointments. And we hooked right. them up with a ride share program or community resources Perfect. that may be free huh. for them to get to and from their, their appointments based on their income. So it's, it's fun stuff. You obviously hear that I'm passionate about it. This is yeah. right where I like to be. Healthcare universe in this country is... Everybody likes to say it's broken. It's certainly disorganized sure. and the incentives are perverse, especially for the entrenched players, hmm. but it's also prime for disruption. Yeah. And it's broken or, or disorganized or whatever it's needed. So we got to fight through it and, and get organized and, and disrupt. And it's really, it's really great that you guys are thinking creatively around both. How can we help the insurers understand what's going on with the employee population and and orient their programs and so forth. But even more than that, how can we go kind of not around, but beyond the insurers and supplement what, 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 what you can do, right, to help these employers and employees be successful? That's really, that's great. And I used to be a little bit in the insurance business. I used to work for Northwestern Mutual. And so I was more of the personal line side of things. And so I, I'm aware of a lot of what you're talking about, but I appreciate you being able to bring the passion to something that on the whole is a pretty difficult industry to understand for most that aren't in it and communicate it in a way that it kind of invites people in. So I appreciate that. Before I let you go, want to talk about, you know, Maestro as an employer. And from what I read and hear, there might be a pretty big shakeup in terms of folks leaving their current employer as vaccines come out and people feel a little bit less of a, well, I'm just not going to change anything until this is over. So potentially there's a wave of turnover, uh, which can be good and bad, right, for all, for all of our organizations. I guess what I'd want to hear from you is 
if I'm someone in that industry, I'm looking at Maestro as a potential employer, tell me, tell me what about working for you guys is unique, you know, like what's like the perfect glass door review that you just love to read that somebody's like, man, this is the best employer ever. And here's why, what might that sound like? Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit old school. So, so just forgive me when I say this, but I, we'll bear with I think there's a, there's a modern way to say this. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. You know, I think what the perfect glass door review would say is that I'm in a position where I can make a difference. Mm. I'm challenged to do my best work every day. And I have the support I need from the leadership team. If something goes sideways. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that, it's that simple. I don't think that's old school. You know, I, I think all the more I see as younger and younger generations enter the workforce, it's there's less conversation about salary than it was when I entered the workforce. Uh, there's less conversation around exactly the contract and the bonus structure and this and that. Every question is about the mission. What are we doing? What are we accomplishing together and the culture and the team? And, you know, so I think you're right on. It's I'm doing... I'm doing my best work and I'm doing important work and I've got support, you know, and then of course room to grow, but yep. that's great. Is that something that you guys expect to see in these next 12 months where there be a big, big kind of a point of growth for you guys in terms of recruiting or, or where you're headed as a company in terms of kind of size and speed and all of that right now? <laughs> yeah. So the trajectory has been a little bit weird, yeah. frankly. Um, there's a COVID factor involved. Sure. Right? So you have, you have a lot of business staying in place yeah. in terms of moving into the TPA space from the fully insured, waiting to see what type of post-COVID claim spikes you know might happen, et cetera, et cetera. So right. we'd love to see more employer group activity than we are right now. I think well, we're starting to see that change as we come out of the other side of this thing. I think we're expecting significant growth, especially January 1. Okay. That said... The data that I've read, and and by the way, I've not vetted the studies or figured out the source or anything like that. There's some things that I chase all the way down to the end of that. Right. But I, I happen to believe this is a possibility, at least. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40% of folks are looking to jump from where they're at on the yeah. other side of this thing. So that can both help and hinder us, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's 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 more important than ever right now to be doing a pulse check, right. especially on your key staff. And if you're a small company with a single point of failure that you might feel like you haven't nourished as much as you wanted or given the, the right visibility into a growth path, you yeah. might want to gut check that uh, here pretty soon because we've all got them. Mm-hmm. Folks, we don't want to leave. And whether it's you know setting some budget aside or setting some attention aside for that, uh, those folks, it's worth spending some time thinking about for sure. Yeah. Well, appreciate that. And I agree. I, I hope and pray it's not 30, 40% in my organization or yours, but yeah, I, I think it is going to be a big number. It, it almost feels like we're going to get a COVID report card from our people. It's like, how did you do over these past 14? And by that time, maybe it's 18 months or whatever the case may be, but yeah, it definitely feels like a COVID report card that we're about to get. Yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on. I like that reference. Yeah, <laughs> it just came to me when you said 30, 40. I'm like, well, uh, 
that would mean you're getting a, you know, like a D, you know? <laughs> so, well, Brandon, it really, it, I really enjoyed talking to you and, and just the unique perspective again, that you have around having some, some hard data to pull from seeing where the benefits world is headed. It's a huge part of what our listeners are in charge of. I think we have a lot of folks that listen that are in the HR space, in the benefit space. And then of course, a lot of executives that are just thinking about our people and how do I do all I can to support our people and not of course, break the bank doing that. And so those yeah. two things are very much aligned. So I really appreciate the insights and, and I'm appreciative of you taking the time. Of course, really appreciate it doing it, Jordan. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank everybody for listening today. So again, we've been chatting with Brandon Wood from Maestro Health. So do check out Maestro if you are um, leading benefits, if you are looking for help to figure out how to navigate these next 12 months, 18 months post-COVID. Sounds like some customized and, and unique opportunities to think through this in a little less cookie cutter way than you might approach benefits. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.